Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from sunny Santa Barbara, California today. And uh, before I begin, I want to remind you that there is a website that you should definitely visit called wealthformula.com. It is the home base of this podcast. Lots of resources there for you. That's also where you can sign up for our private stuff like our accredited investor group and also Wealth Formula Network, which is our private network. You can also check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, as for today's show, I want to talk to you a little bit before we get started with the interview here about, well, I don't know if you noticed, but we're in the middle of a massive cryptocurrency bull market. We haven't been here since 2017, and who knows how long it'll last, and who knows you know, if we'll have a great big crash like last time. But for those of you with solid positions right now, enjoy the run, but don't get greedy. You know, I learned my share of lessons from the last cryptocurrency bull run. I could have come away from it uh, with a lot more money than I did. That's for sure. However, like anything in life, investing is about learning from your mistakes and trying not to repeat them. If you do that enough time, you'll get pretty good at it, I believe. Let me give you an example of one of the lessons that I learned. You see, I was relatively new to the cryptocurrency space in 2017, and I was turned on to the cryptocurrency market shortly before that bull market. Now, I didn't go, you know, all in. I didn't make huge investments right away. I was still feeling it out, but I found myself caught in the middle of a bull market and a bunch of stuff that I owned a little bit of went way up in price. And back then they had these things called initial coin offerings, ICOs, which have been cracked down on by the SEC. So they don't really have those anymore, at least in the US. And there was a project out there that a a friend of mine, a Canadian friend, pointed out to me and suggested I I take a look at it. And I, I, you know, I read about it, saw the people involved. And while I invested 50 grand into that deal, uh, at the time, it did not occur to me, however, to keep an eye out for when and where it would actually begin trading. I mean, there's a different kind of world. It's not like you got an email or something like that saying, hey, you know, we're going to start trading this or it's coming live, whatever. It just happened. And then one day that guy who tipped the project off to me sends me a text and the text just says, you must be happy that you bought it. And then smiley face. 
on it. And uh, of course, I was trying to figure out what was going on. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I bought that thing. Let me go check how much it is worth. And when I looked up the price of that token, guess what? My $50,000 was worth $4 million. I'm not even kidding. Now, there are times to buy and hold, but this was not one of them. I mean, that kind of profit on a token that really represented at the time more of an idea than anything else in my opinion, was a sell for sure. But the problem was that I couldn't sell. You see, that was the problem. You see, first of all, the only platform where the token was trading was not open to Americans. So my friend who texted me, again, he was Canadian, so he was lucky he got to trade out there a little bit on, on a, a fairly large platform with a little bit of liquidity. And so for several months, I watched the initial zeal drain out of this project. And by the time there was any kind of trading platform available to me, uh, it was trading now not at $4 million, but that $50,000 was now worth $500,000. Still good, right? That's still 10x, nothing to scoff at. But then I ran into another problem. You see, there was this platform that it was trading on was a, a small one with virtually no liquidity in the marketplace. In other words, the token I had may have been theoretically worth something, but I had no one to actually sell it to. There was no marketplace. There was no liquidity. So by the time the token was on a sizable trading platform available to Americans, had some level of liquidity, which it still is not terribly liquid, crypto winter was upon us. And guess what? The $50,000 that went all the way up to $4 million was now worth $20,000. Anyway, what a miserable story, right? You're right. Uh, but I can't say that I, I ever really you know, it's not like I jumped off a cliff or anything like that. I never let it bother me that much. This kind of stuff happens once in a while when you are an active investor or trader. The key is to learn something and try not to repeat the mistake again. I mean, some of this stuff here wasn't really stuff that I could um, control. But on the other hand, knowing that if you're deploying into something with hope of significant growth potential, but then not having any place to sell it or a person who'd want to buy it, isn't really helpful. Listen, for those of you who are holding on to significant profits in alternative uh, tokens right now, make sure you can sell them if you want to. If you, if not, you might consider very slowly moving uh, out of the token into something traded on Coinbase or something where there's a lot more liquidity uh, with everything that's traded there. If the market starts going south and you're on and you own something where there's not a much bunch of liquidity, you're pretty much screwed. You're not going to be able to sell anything. Ask me how I know that one. Anyway, I thought I'd share this story with you um, to learn from my experience, hopefully. You know, crypto is still the Wild West, despite tons of added regulations since 2017. So listen, have fun. Try to make some money. Whatever you do, try not to lose a bunch of money. Um, in frenzies like this, that's very easy to do. Now, one thing that I'm doing myself is making sure that any of my significant holdings, again, have a substantial uh, business or function behind them. That's another thing to think about. At least, you know, that way I know I'm betting on something real as opposed to something like Dogecoin or, you know, that's spelled like doggy coin. And I know it's gone up way in value, but I think it's a big joke. There's nothing behind it. It is going to go to zero eventually. I know it's made people a lot of money, but seriously, there's absolutely no value in this. 
During this period of crypto craziness, you'll also see a lot of other phenomena. You're going to see a lot of unnecessary, quote unquote, tokenization and random companies adding the word blockchain to whatever they do in order to create a buzz. We saw this in the last crypto boom, and it created a lot of premium for those companies capitalizing on investor interest in cryptocurrency, whether or not the company actually had anything to do with blockchain. Case in point, there was a company in 2017, well, it was an iced tea company, and it was called Long Island Iced Tea, based in New York, in Long Island, of all places. The company had a record in public records that it made beverages, iced tea, presumably, from 2015 to 2017. But suddenly, in December of 2017, at the height of the crypto craze, in the middle of it all, they changed the company's name to Long Blockchain Corp, LBCC. Now, the company never really made its mark in anything related to blockchain and in a press release stated Quote, there can be no assurance that the company will be successful in developing blockchain technology or in profitably commercializing it if developed. In other words, they're just using it to pump the stock price. And sure enough, guess what? The share price increased by 500%. Now, the moral of the story is that in times like these, it is important as ever to ask questions. Yes, I do believe blockchain and more broadly, Distributed ledger technology uh, is the biggest technology advance since the internet and will become the new internet. But make sure when you hear people using crypto terminology actually have a real purpose for uh, it other than marketing. You know, just because a company does something and it involves digital, uh, you know, tokenization or blockchain or whatever doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good company. Now, this week's uh, podcast is with a company that is a they're a real estate fund in the triple net space, and they are actually talking about using tokenization in their business to securitize uh, ownership via security tokens. Now, does that make sense? You know, I'll let you listen to the interview and decide for yourself. Uh, but even without the tokenization aspect, it'll be an interesting thing for you to learn a little bit about triple net real estate. So when we come back, Jason Ricks of Liberty Real Estate Fund. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three 
and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Jason Ricks. Jason is a COO and co-founder of Liberty Real Estate Fund, uh, which is an interesting fund that uh, uh, revolves around the uh, single tenant net lease market, which we'll talk about uh, specifically. Uh, and, and in addition to that, it is, uh, I guess, the first security token offering type fund out there in the space as well. Anyway, welcome to the show, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Buck. Long-term listener. So uh, thanks thanks again for giving me the opportunity to speak today. Yeah, of course. And did I get that right about it being the first of its kind in terms of the uh, security token? That's correct. It's it's the world's first. Um, there's been other funds or, let's say, individual assets mm. that have been tokenized, but Got nothing it. as advanced as acquiring single-tenant properties across the United States like we have today. Got it. All right. Well, why don't we start out the usual way, which is to kind of just start out with who you are. Uh, what's your background? You've been in commercial real estate for a while, it looks like. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Austin. Uh, I thought I was going to be a professional football player that ended up uh, not going according to plan. And I was a field goal kicker at Oklahoma State oh, okay. back in 2004 through 08. Got out of college and, and said, okay, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And uh, fell into commercial real estate after about 19 interviews. It was 2008, so it was kind of a difficult time to get into the space. But uh, cut my teeth on leasing and a lot of early on brokerage. And then over the course of my career, I got kind of shifted into asset management. I worked for a large value add portfolio um, out of a wealthy individual out of California. And then decided I wanted to kind of get more institutional and work for a private REIT, where I oversaw a portfolio of about 500 million. Got it. So let's see your, you know, your fund focuses on the, the single tenant net lease market. Talk about exactly what that is. Sure. So for your listeners, quite simply, it's a, it's a single tenant occupant. Now the easiest way I can kind of use an example, think of a McDonald's or a, a drive through Starbucks. You have one tenant on an out parcel, usually with extremely high visibility uh, and they control their individual space and the space around their building. Got it. And so that would that include uh, that wouldn't include malls or anything like that. It's basically just no. like single standing buildings with one business for the most part, right? Absolutely. Think of like a, a gas station's a perfect example, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes these are on the what I would call the parcels or the outside of the parking lot behind like a let's say a grocery store, like a Walmart or something like that. So when you hear that you got to wonder, well, what would the benefit of a single tenant property within an investment portfolio be? Wouldn't that be creating a lot more risk? Uh, how do you how do you deal with that? Sure. So surprisingly, and we've done back data information on this, single tenant net lease for the last 30 years have been the highest occupied asset class when you compare it to any other type of commercial real estate class. So above um, multifamily, above industrial office, and traditional retail. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons and advantages for single tenant net leases that I can get into. Um, and they're always in ultimate high demand from investors and from tenants. And why so is that? 
Why, why are they in such demand? Sure. It's, it's unfeathered access and visibility buck is one of the big ones. It's literally a walking, talking billboard. Uh, so you imagine the best located real estate within a market, tons of vehicles traveling to and from every day past that building. It has control of its parking lot and the space itself. And so it becomes extremely high, highly desirable. One of the other things uh, to mention, I guess, would be the, the fact that they're net leases. You want to talk a little bit about net leases as opposed to what we may be used to in the uh, other types of real estate? Absolutely. So this is the thing that this is ultimately why we call these bonds wrapped in real estate. Okay. So you have, imagine an essential business like a convenience store, great credit behind it, like a shell or Seven Eleven. Okay. And they're on the hard corner. They've got great visibility and access to their space. Um, and they're structured on a long-term lease. And here's the beauty, the taxes, the insurance and the maintenance on the building is all passed through to the tenant and that's structured in their lease. So I'm not getting a phone call in the middle of the night to change a toilet. Uh, I'm not getting calls to say, Hey, my roof needs repair or my air conditioning unit needs replaced. So all of those things are structured that way. So we call these essentially just bonds wrapped in real estate. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good way to describe it because I think again, going back to the idea of why, you know, somebody might, look at this and say, if it's a single tenant, is it riskier? How do you look at individual tenants? I mean, obviously you mentioned, uh, you know, bonds uh, wrapped up in real estate. Well, a lot of times that's what bonds are, right? So tell me, how do you, how do you determine uh, or how, how, how do you classify or categorize uh, potential tenants? Well, I'll kind of give you some examples, right? So we'd look at like a Goodyear, a Firestone, a Fresenius, the market cap on some of these buildings or some of these tenants, you know, Goodyear's close to 2 billion market cap, Firestone's 21 billion in market cap, Fresenius is, is 25 billion in market cap. So um, you look at their credit and you can do a lot of um, interesting searches online and a lot of their financials, again, these are publicly traded companies. Sure. So, and we can evaluate the risk profile from that standpoint. Got it. So you can essentially kind of, you know, you're basically basing your lease the risk of your lease uh, on the uh, financials of the the company that that you're that you're looking at, and so I suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, just like in bonds, where you're going to have high yield bonds, low you know lower yielding bonds, uh, a yeah. lot of the uh, you know junk bonds are the ones that yield the highest. So you know yeah. you're going to generally get the higher cap rate, uh, the higher the higher yield uh, for you know businesses uh, with that are not as as credit worthy. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. And it's, it's interesting that you brought up junk bonds because, you know, we're closely tied to fixed income given the asset class type. So, you know, junk bonds are yielding under 4%. The 10 years at one, six, one, seven today floating. Um, these are real yields that, that are nothing. I can go out and buy a Seven Eleven backed by that credit and that market cap at five cap. And then I could put debt on it at 70%. And so I can get a premium coupon to investors, um, which I would argue is better than what you could get on a corporate bond yield, right? Um, corporate bond yields are around 3% right now. So it just, for me, it's a no brainer for, for folks that are looking for fixed income. 
You know, and that's 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 right. So you brought up a five cap on a Seven Eleven. Obviously, this depends regionally as well, right? I mean, Correct. five cap in L.A. probably not. You know, or exactly or New York yeah. City. Uh, how how does that vary? I mean, tell tell me tell me a little bit about this market. It's, I think the this group that um, you know my listeners are pretty familiar with multifamily real estate because we do a ton of it and you know in my investor club we're doing a lot in dallas fort worth and arizona um and and we're doing that because the profile of those markets are that they're extremely fast growing markets and they're not tertiary markets we stay away from tertiary markets because of the fluctuations uh and the lack of fundamentals um how does you know how do you look at triple net property is it just the parallel markets to multifamily? So it's pretty comparable. So we have this old adage in our business where retail follows rooftops. And so we're looking at net migration patterns. We're looking at um, cities that are on the, on, the, on the come, essentially, and where these demographic trends are shifting. And so we have this catchy phrase, it's corny from my partner, but it's essentially the smile states that are getting a lot of the growth. And so we're big fans of DFW and Phoenix, just like you are, Buck. Uh, we also like Florida. We like things that are happening in Georgia, the Carolinas, Tennessee's getting a ton of growth. Um, but you know, there's this, you know, there's this devil between do you reach for yield in a two-sharing market? And that's just not who we are. Yes, I can probably go buy a better cap rate somewhere, but I take on a ton of risk because if that tenant goes out for whatever reason, trying to backfill that in a smaller town is tough. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So it's, it's actually got a lot of similarities, um, you know, to, to anything else that we do. All right. Well, let, let me ask you this, because I guess the next question is, I I know I've got listeners out here thinking, well, geez, you know, uh, this sounds like maybe the kind of space where I should just go out and maybe buy some of my own stuff. After all, it sounds like it's not terribly, you know, management heavy, uh, you know, a company comes in there and they, they, you know, you, you're, basically saying, Hey, here are the reins, just pay me, you know, and I'm just going to collect a check every month. I mean, that's basically it. So if that's the case, why would I choose uh, to invest in a fund if I can just afford to go out and buy some triple net real estate? Sure. I'm a, I'm a big believer in diversification. Sure. And you know, you go out and put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, You're making a large bet. Um, Maybe not for some of your listeners, but some Mm -hmm. of them, maybe, right. You go out and buy a I don't know. Let's say you go buy um, a Dollar Tree for $3 million um, in one market, you have a lot of concentration risk. And so with our fund, you get industry diversification and geographic diversification. And you don't have to deal with all the headaches of putting these deals together, meeting with brokers, interacting, trying to do all the legal work, trying to get all this stuff done, the due diligence, all those things that go into it. Um, we basically handle that up front and then we do, you know, institutional quality reporting on the back end. So if you're super analytical and want to understand mm-hmm. details, um, we're going to take that level of expertise that we have today and implement that towards the fund. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay. So let's talk specifically a little bit about your fund. You mentioned, uh, you're focusing on, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Arizona, uh, Florida, uh, what what kinds of property are you specifically looking at? I mean, are you uh, are there certain companies like Dollar Trees? Are you sort of across the board or or what? Sure. So it's it's essential businesses, and we came up with this idea 
about two years ago, mm-hmm. back when we saw online sales crushing traditional retail. Yeah. And we wanted something stable. Um, we really like the medical space. Mm-hmm. I think we're very bullish on medical for a lot of demographic reasons. Um, and then we've like, uh, we like auto care and service. We like gas stations mm-hmm. and, and daily needs. Um, and we've kind of looked into some other s- sectors too, whether it be telecommunications, um, even pawn shops, believe it or not, sure. because some of these are very defensive in nature, right? So like, let's say for example, the economy takes a nosedive and I was just listening to your podcast the other day. You had a really cool economist on, by the way, that was fun. And they were talking about maybe we're going to have a dip in S and P uh, 500 here in the next couple of years. And um, you know, when people, when, when the market tanks a little bit, you know, they're going to be spending more on their cars. They're not going to be buying new vehicles as much. They're going to be spending more time traveling in their cars versus getting on an expensive flight. And so a lot of these things are defensive, even like a dollar tree, for example, well, they typically do well in recessionary periods. And so it's kind of counterintuitive when you think at it originally, but, but it kind of weathers both sides of the storm. So we, we like the diversity that we've selected. Um, and we really, really bullish on medical. How do you do uh, how do you do single uh, leases with medical? Is it usually like an emergency room or something from a big company or how, how does that work? Yeah, we like Davida. We like Fresenius. We like some of the big dental players, uh, Baylor, Scott and White. I'm sure you're probably familiar with them with your research in DFW um, and some urgent cares. I think, Buck, you would probably know. Um, I know with your background, you probably know some of that space. I think there may be some regulatory issues with urgent centers. So we don't want to go too heavy into that space. So um, we may pick the best player in that, but uh, we're not going to go full steam ahead on on that individual use. Makes sense. Okay. So obviously, okay. So there's this one piece uh, that's different, as you mentioned, from any other fund that's doing it. And that's the securitization. So for those people who don't know, explain what exactly a security token uh, offering is. Sure. It's the, the easiest way I can describe it. It's a digital security. Mm-hmm. And we're able to capitalize on this by using blockchain technology, which is just a fancy word for a digital ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best way I can describe it without getting too far into the weeds. Okay. So what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So, you know. You know, look, I mean, at the end of the day, we're a fund that pays our investors monthly cash flow. But the reason why we did all this, and this is our big kind of why, we wanted to solve two problems. We literally wanted to solve two problems. And you're in this space too. First one is the lack of liquidity. When you invest in a private real estate offering, and I'll give you a fun example here in a second, you are beholden married with no or little say on what that sponsor does. And you're tied to the US dollar typically if you're investing into a US syndication. So if they wanna hold it for 10 years, you're along for the ride. You have, you can bitch and complain all you want, but that's what they're gonna do, that's what they're gonna do. So you have no control. If you have a major life event, I'll give you one that I'm going through right now. Uh, we're having a second kid, uh, which is exciting, and but we need a bigger house. My wife's working from home, so I'm trying to buy a house in Austin right now, and everything is 20% over ask. And people are wanting all cash offers. So it'd be really nice if I could, hey, can I, can I use this money that I have and all these other real estate investments that I have and just pull it out, put it in the house, and then later I can back fund it again if I wanted to. So, you know, things happen. 10 years is a long time. Sure. So liquidity and then what else? 
You said there yeah, the other one is look, if you're a, if you're a fixed income investor right now, where are you going? I mean, there's, you don't really have any options or choices. So what we're trying to do is provide an alternative to the fixed income bond market world and give you that same level of stability with the highest occupied asset class historically and mm-hmm. give you those monthly returns. And so that those are the two big problems that we're trying to solve for. All right. So functionally, let's talk about how the security token works, because you can have tokens all you want unless uh, but if you don't have a, you know, any liquidity to the market, it's pretty much worthless. So how that's going to be dependent on, in part, you know, the size of your fund and the activity in your fund. So talk a little bit about that. My point here, just for everybody who's listening, is let me give you an example uh, during the last cryptocurrency bull run, I had invested in one initial coin offering that had turned my uh, 50 grand into a million bucks. But the problem is I couldn't sell the damn thing. Even though there was this you know, so-called token, uh, there was no liquidity to that market in the sense that, yes, there was tokens, but there's no activity on the buy and sell side. So I'm playing devil's advocate here, not being a, uh, not trying to you know call you out or something. But I'm asking you how how do you address that issue, or you know is it you know it, it you know the, most people who are investing in real estate in these funds aren't really looking to get out, right? So who who is where's the market? Who's the market? Yeah, no, great question. So um, yes, we are in early innings. We're probably first or second inning right now of total market liquidity mm-hmm. when you compare it to these other larger, like, you know, for example, the NASDAQ or Dow or anything sure. like that. Right. So, um, we're not as robust on these exchanges as of yet, but you have multiple different options. So the first option is I can go peer to peer, right? So that means I can call buck. Mm-hmm. Buck's got a lot of multifamily stuff, security tokens. And I want some, I'm too allocated heavy towards industrial. So I'm going to call Buck. I'm going to say, Hey Buck, I want to buy some of your multi tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I want some of that exposure in my portfolio. You and I can make a peer to peer exchange. So that's the first way to do that. Um, the second way to do it is you have broker dealers that can advertise and list these on exchanges for you or sell them in blocks to large institutions. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other fun options is what we call these secondary markets that are very much up and coming, but they're getting more robust as people come around more to to tokenization, which is what we've seen accelerated over the last, I would say last six months, last three months in particular with the rise of all, you know, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, Mm -hmm. the interest in the fun and tokens in general has exploded. So these secondary exchanges become really neat because on your dashboard, mm-hmm. so if you're an investor in our fund, you can literally go to our dashboard and select on a secondary exchange and you can put it out on the exchange and see what the market would yield. So if I'm so looking you, for liquidity and I'm looking to, for exposure to real estate and, and, and triple net real estate and or multifamily, again, let me just ask you again, from the perspective of somebody who's looking for liquidity, why would I why would I go this route as opposed to finding a REIT that's publicly traded and um, has a lot of liquidity? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, did you own any REITs in March of Me? last year? Hell no, I don't own REITs. I, I, own, I know you don't. I know you don't. But, <laughs> but, but you know, play, yeah. play along with me. Yeah. So let's okay. say you owned a REIT okay. in March of last year. Okay. How much did those, how much did those REITs go down? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they went down a lot. Sure. 
now ask me how much how much did that cap rate suppress for 7-Elevens? Did it lose? Did it go from a? Did it go in California? Did it go from a four cap to a six cap? No. Yeah, actually, no it dropped. Yeah, it dropped in value. Okay. And I work for a REIT, so I, I know all the fun in and outs of reporting, the overhead, uh, the weighing down of the returns well, for investors. And you're, it's an operational company. It's not like you're investing in the real estate. No, I get it. But what I guess what I'm trying to do, and again, understand I'm playing devil's advocate because that's my job here, is if you start talking about the liquidity uh, and exchanging uh, securitized tokens – in the same environment, you may have the same problem, right? I mean, who's you may have the same buyer fears uh, mm-hmm. with a security, a securitized token, as you would a stock. I mean, the reason why that stock price on the REIT went down is because people get worried and they start selling and they don't want to buy stuff, yeah. right? So why would sure. it be any different? Well, I mean, honestly, if it's yielding what it's yielding and someone wants to sell it at a 30% discount, I'd be tickled to death to buy it, first of all. Because yeah. it's the underlying value in NAV, right. which is what we're trading on. Not necessarily if a new CEO comes into the, to the realm of a sure. REIT sure. or if they've got way too much exposure to uh, AMC theaters, for example, yeah. or some other, you know, um, old age retailer or, or a particular scenario that's not favorable to the REIT. Got it. All right. So we're, Where's the market? How's the market? Uh, what platform are you using uh, for the trading of these tokens? Sure. So our our uh, registered transfer agent, and again, I'm, I'm trying not to use these terms, but it's securitized is the one that's going to be issuing the tokens on our behalf. Um, and we're looking at a couple different exchanges right now um, because we're launching the fund in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we have kind of this, this 12 month lockup period, um, before people can start trading it. Right. So we've got uh, a few different groups that we really like. Fusang out of Hong Kong is one of the exchanges that we're really uh, mm-hmm. excited about. They've had a lot of interest and, and a lot more transactions, uh, in their marketplace. And then we're, we're kind of evaluating three or four others. Um, some are based in the United States. Uh, some are also foreign. So right now you're right now you're um, you, you haven't co- gotten to the security token part of this, and so people who are currently invested in the fund they would you know if, essentially they would uh, their ownership would be converted to securities. Is that um, right? So uh, the fund will launch in May. Oh, okay, then, it hasn't launched. Yeah. Yet. So and then once once uh, essentially we go live with the fund and, and funds are invested and we start buying um, uh, properties. Uh, there's a one-year lockup period for for the investors yep. before they can trade it. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, typically, with the credit investor issues, that's uh, that's what you see. One other technical question, and I, this is more out yeah. of curiosity because I'm just you know my brain always goes towards taxes, uh, Jason. And so, uh, let's say so your typical um, right now, um, and you know we're we're buying all this multifamily, and one of the tremendous benefits that people get when they're investing um, in this type of stuff is we're using cost segregation analysis and bonus depreciation. And, um, you know, we're getting situations where we're literally sometimes writing off. uh, People are writing off as much money or more than they actually invested as depreciation in the first year, which is huge. 
Uh, obviously, in different real estate, you have different levels of depreciation, but there is always that level of depreciation. How does the tokenization of this stuff, how does that all work in terms of taxes and depreciation? Uh, obviously, I mean, in our case, if I um, bought something and I took that depreciation uh, in the first year, and all of a sudden I've got this asset that the basis is way low and presumably if I sell and I'm paying recapture. So how does that work? Or is that something that maybe isn't as applicable in your, your space? I'm, you know, I'm so glad you reminded me of this because I forgot to bring this up answering your re-question. We are a traditional 506C Reg D. So just like every other uh, private fund that most of your investors invest in. And because of that, they're K-1 investors. And so we take advantage of cost seg and bonus depreciation just like you guys do. And that's one of the benefits is on the on the REIT side, those dividends are taxable at ordinary income. And then this income to the fund is tax advantaged. How but 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 how can it I guess the question I have is on the technical aspect of that is one of the reasons you can do that is because you've got the K1s, uh, but the K1s are showing depreciation and you have a new basis, you know, with the depreciation. Now, if you're securitizing these tokens, how does that, when that token is transferred to one person to another, how does how does that work? Because now you've got a, a token or a security that somebody owns that, you know, you've taken uh, you've taken a you know 100% depreciation on. I mean, when it gets sold to somebody else, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. It's all done via what's called a smart contract. And uh-huh. this is one of the benefits to the early investors into the fund. So if you're mm-hmm. an early investor into the fund, you know, obviously as the length of the fund goes on, we get rental increases, which increases your cash on cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, we plan to do cost seg early on in the fund to basically benefit the early on investors that are coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, they get some of the initial tax advantages. And then when they sell them, let's say in five years from now, yeah, that basis is going to go to that new investor, uh, which ultimately gives them a little bit of a, you're not as an, an ideal tax position compared to the guy that originally got in. Got it. Well, listen, how do we learn more? Yeah, um, we've got so many things out there. So we do the Chicago Blockchain Collective. Um, you know, you can hear Mike on his podcast, uh, Nothing But Net. Uh, all of this is basically at our website. So we put out free content all the time. Um, you can hear me and Michael on, on multiple different podcasts. We've got a YouTube channel. It's at uh, libertyfund.io. Mm-hmm. So libertyfund.io and and you can feel free to reach out to me anytime at uh, jason at libertyfund.io. Jason, good to have you on the show and uh, good luck to you. Yeah, thanks, Buck. I appreciate it. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. So what do you think? You think that this is a kind of thing that uh, uh, makes sense? Well, I think there probably is some practical applications, but what I would say is judging from that conversation, there's still a lot of development that needs to be done. And some of the complicated stuff uh, when it comes to real estate and owning real estate really needs to be addressed. Um, I mean, how do you take bonus depreciation, you know, have your basis uh, go down by 20, 30% and then the next thing, you know, sell it to somebody else. You know, some of these things don't make a lot of sense to me right now. I'm sure somebody will come up with an answer, but I guess those are the types of things that you got to continuously ask. 
And, you know, at some point, yeah, I think the idea of security tokens in general is very real. Those of you who participated in Infinite Fleet in that offering uh, saw that, you know, there's a security token aspect to that. You know, Patrick Byrne, who is the Overstock.com CEO, is the largest security securitized token platform in the world. This is real, right? This is real stuff. But the question is, just because it's a technology, does it always make sense? And is it the right time to use it? Those are kinds of questions to ask. Anyway, hopefully you learned something. And also, uh, you know, you learned something about triple net leases, which I think is a very important space uh, to to know about as well. Um, this is Buck Jaffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.